I'd like to take a reading from Luke, the book of Luke, chapter 22, verses 7 through 20. Uh, and I'll be reading from the New King James Version. <laughs> it says, Then came the day of unleavened bread, when the Passover must be killed. And Jesus sent Peter and John, saying, Go and prepare the Passover for us, that we may eat. So they said to him, Where do you want us to prepare? And he said to them, Behold, when you've entered the city, a man will meet you carrying a pitcher of water. Follow him into the house which he enters. Then you shall say to the master of the house, The teacher says to you, Where is the guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? Then he'll show you a large furnished upper room. There make ready. So they went and found it just as he had said to them, and they prepared the Passover. When the hour had come, he sat down and the twelve apostles with him. Then he said to them, With fervent desire, I have desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I say to you, I will no longer eat of it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. Then he took a cup, gave thanks, and said, Take this and divide it among yourselves. For I say to you, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. Then he took bread, gave it, Thank, gave thanks and broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Likewise, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is shed for you. Holidays are a very important part of any culture. And as Americans, we celebrate many holidays that stand for all sorts of things, don't we? Uh, the 4th of July celebrates American independence. Uh, New Year's Day rejoices in the possibilities of the upcoming year. And of course, we can't forget everybody's favorite holiday, the one everybody's thinking about, I'm sure. Uh, International Talk Like a Pirate Day, right? Every year on September 19th, everybody's supposed to talk like a pirate for a day. I guess. And surely you haven't forgotten the famous extraterrestrial abduction day where uh, on March 20th, people all over the world, they watch the skies, hoping, praying to be abducted by some alien life force. Obviously, Americans have invented some pretty ridiculous holidays. And maybe this is one reason why it's so difficult for us to relate to the sacredness of the Jewish holidays. Another reason this is, is of course, American holidays are man-made, and Jewish holidays are ordained by God. God-ordained holidays, they're all about remembering. The Day of Atonement was about remembering the sins that you committed over the past year. The Feast of Tabernacles was about remembering the wilderness wanderings when the Israelites lived in the desert. And the Passover feast, as Jesus celebrated during the final week of His life on earth, as we read about just earlier, that was no different. The Passover was one of the most sacred and important days in the entire Jewish calendar. It was the very first holy day that was given to Israel. And it was put into effect by God even before the Ten Commandments. So that should tell you something. And like all other holidays in Israel, it too was about remembrance. There's a lot we can say about this ancient Jewish holy day. And while many important truths have been and, and could be taught by it, what I'd like to explore today is maybe something you haven't considered about the Passover. 
and that is that the Passover teaches the dual nature of true religion. We'll get into that, uh, what I mean by that, a little bit more uh, later. But first, let's talk about the institution of the Passover. After nine destructive plagues had visited Israel, or Egypt rather, uh, God prepared for the final, the most devastating of all, the death of the firstborn. And in preparation, God revealed to Moses exactly how the people could be saved. He said in Exodus 12, verses 3 through 8, Every man shall take for himself a lamb, according to the house of his father, a lamb for a household. He said, Your lamb shall be without blemish, a male of the first year. He said, Then the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill it at twilight. They shall take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and on the lintel of the houses where they eat it. Then they shall eat the flesh on that night, roasted in fire, with unleavened bread and with bitter herbs. They shall eat it. The first element of the Passover that unavoidably you will notice is that there was work to do. Every household was responsible for finding a lamb, which met God's requirements, and for slaughtering that lamb, and and properly applying its blood to their doorposts, and roasting the meat, preparing the unleavened bread and the bitter herbs, and eating the meal with their family. All of this, this is called form. A form is the customary method or correct procedure of something. God says, this is what you must do in order to be saved from disaster. Having the right form wasn't the only component of the Passover, was it? According to Exodus, there were the three emblems of the Passover, right? The lamb, the uh, unleavened bread, the bitter herbs. They all carried some type of spiritual significance. The blood of the lamb on the doorposts represented God's deliverance of His children. Exodus 12 and 23 says, For the Lord will pass through to strike the Egyptians, and when he sees the blood, the Lord will pass over your door and not allow the destroyer to come into your houses to strike you. The bitter herbs, uh, they seem to represent the harsh treatment that they endured in Egypt. Exodus 1 and verse 14 says, They made their lives bitter with hard bondage in mortar and brick in all manner of service in the field. Finally, the unleavened bread represented something. It represented the haste when God brought the people out of Egypt. Exodus 12 and verse 39 talks about that. He says, And they baked unleavened cakes of dough, which they had brought out of Egypt, for it was not leavened because they were driven out of Egypt and could not wait, nor had they prepared provisions for themselves. This, all of these things, This is called focus. God said, this day will be to you a memorial. When the Israelites kept the Passover, they were to remember what God had done for them. The book of Deuteronomy, chapter 16, verses 2 and 3 says, Therefore you shall sacrifice the Passover to the Lord your God from the flock and the herd in the place where the Lord chooses to put His name. You shall eat no unleavened, no leavened bread with it. Seven days you shall eat unleavened bread with it. That is the bread of affliction. For you came out of the land of Egypt in haste, that you may remember the day in which you came out of the land of Egypt all the days of your life. In the Passover, two elements come together, form 
and focus. Passover teaches the dual nature of true religion. In God's system, there is always both form and focus. Keeping this in mind, let's fast forward to the book of Matthew this time. Matthew chapter 26, verse 17. It says, Now on the first day of the Feast of Unleavened Bread, the disciples came to Jesus, saying to Him, Where do you want us to prepare for you to eat the Passover? And He said, Go into a city to a certain man and say to him, The teacher says, My time is at hand. I will keep the Passover at your house with my disciples. So the disciples did as Jesus had directed them, and they prepared the Passover. When evening had come, He sat down with the twelve. The disciples came to the Lord. They came to Jesus, of course, because they had the proper focus. They wanted to know where to prepare for the Passover. They knew as faithful Jews that keeping the Passover was vitally important to them. What they lacked, however, was a form. So they came to the Master for instructions. He guides them, He directs them, and they obey. And look at what happens next. Luke chapter 22, Luke this time, chapter 22, verses 14 and 15. When the hour had come, He sat down, the twelve apostles with Him. He said to them, With fervent desire, I have desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I say to you, I will no longer eat of it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. Because of their obedience in both form and focus, Jesus could say that He had fervently desired to eat this feast with them. And, you know, Luke, he doesn't specify why Jesus so strongly desired to keep the Passover this time. Maybe He wanted to show the apostles how the Passover pointed to Him. Maybe He wanted this opportunity to have fellowship with His friends, the Twelve, for one last time. Or maybe, just maybe, He wanted to use this opportunity to teach His disciples about a new feast. Mark chapter 14 We've read from Matthew and Mark. Let's, or from Matthew and Luke, rather. Let's read from Mark. Mark chapter 14, verses 22 through 25 says, "And as they were eating, Jesus took bread, blessed it, and broke it, and gave it to them, and said, "Take, eat. This is my body." Then he took the cup. When he'd given thanks, he gave it to them, and they all drank from it. And he said to them, "This is my blood." of the new covenant, which is shed for many. Assuredly, I say to you, I will no longer drink of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. Like the Passover before it, the Lord's Supper is the perfect example of how both form and focus come together in a holy, God-ordained observance. There's no doubt that the communion has form. Of course, Matthew and Mark and Luke and even Paul in 1 Corinthians, they all discuss it. And Paul's record is especially important. It's, it especially draws my attention because Paul shows that this isn't just something that was meant for Jesus and His disciples on that night. This is something for me, something for you. It's something for the churches to observe, to continually observe, to keep doing to keep remembering. 
In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, that's where Paul talks about the communion. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, Paul notes that Jesus took bread. And when he'd given thanks, he broke it and said, take, eat. He said, in the same manner, he also took the cup after supper. He said, for as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, all of these phrases emphasize form with extremely precise language. We have to pay attention to the language he uses. This is what we must do. Just as God ordained a form for the Passover, which had to be precisely kept in order that death would pass over their houses, Christ ordained a form for the Lord's Supper. Paul shows us the form, but he also doesn't neglect the focus, does he? Paul begins his account by reminding his readers of that fateful night. He says, the Lord Jesus, on the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread. He says, this is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. This cup is the new covenant in my blood. That's interesting. Matthew, in Matthew, Jesus says, this fruit of the vine is my blood of the new covenant. In 1 Corinthians and in Luke, he says, this, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. And that makes sense because, you know, uh, the, the blood and uh, the new covenant, they can't really be separated. They're, they're, they're one thing, just like the cup and the, the fruit of the vine. We put them together. They're one thing. And so we put these together. They make one thing, don't they? And you can't really separate them. You can't separate Jesus' sacrifice from the covenant that He died for. If you did that, I mean, like, for instance, if, if Jesus sacrificed His blood, but He didn't have anything to die for, well, that's just grape juice in a puddle on the ground, isn't it? It's, it's useless to you. Jesus didn't die any, for anything. It's not use, useful for us. Same thing would happen if, if God came up with this, this great new covenant, but he didn't have Jesus' blood to set it into effect. Jesus didn't die for it. Well, that's just like an empty cup. That's useless. You can't drink from that. That's useless. You've got to have both put together. So it makes sense that they're one unit, doesn't it? They're, they're put together. This, this blood of the new, this blood is my, my, or this rather, this fruit of the vine is my blood of the new covenant. This cup is the new covenant in my blood. They're one unit. Two symbols, one unit. How beautiful is God's system. A loaf of bread, a cup, fruit of the vine, these are all included in the form, remembering Christ's body, His blood, the covenant, His blood ratified. This is all about focus. Both form and focus. They're, they're summarized perfectly, I think, in verse 26. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, that's the form, you proclaim the Lord's death till He comes. That's the focus. Just one chapter earlier in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 16 and 17, Paul would also say, uh, in the ESV this time, the, the cup of blessing that we bless. I love that he calls uh, the cup and, the, the, and its contents combined. He calls them the cup of blessing. The cup of blessing that we bless. Is it not a participation in the blood of Christ? If you're reading from the New King James Version or, or another 
translation like it, it probably says communion there. And that's where we get the word communion. It, it, that's what it means. It's a common union, a participation. Is it not a participation in the blood of Christ? The bread that we break, is it not a participation in the body of Christ? Because there is one bread, he says, we who are many are one body. That's the focus. For we all partake of the one bread. That's the form. So beautiful. It's so beautiful. And friends, it's so important that we realize this. Because when we observe the communion, God's way, with a balance of both form and focus, the communion, it, it, that for so many people, the communion has become this, this dead and vain, just repetition. It's this thing you do every week. Oh, I gotta, you know, gotta be there on Sunday morning so I can eat my bread and drink my drink the cup and, and just go home. It's this thing that's become a ritual. When we do it God's way, we see it spring to life. It springs to life. We we do it God's way. We do it with a balance of form and focus. And we take that bread. We take that bread and we bless it. We see Jesus' body. I see His body is, is being blessed and, and broken and passed around the room. And it comes to me and I, you know, I get my turn with the bread and I break a piece off of it. I did that. I caused Jesus' suffering. It was my sin that He suffered for, that He gave His body for, to be beaten and bruised and broken. I did that. And then we finish the bread and we pass the cup around. And I see the new covenant. The new covenant is being passed around with Jesus' blood, carrying Jesus' blood to sinners, bringing them into the contact with His saving blood. And it comes to me, and I draw it to my lips, and, and Jesus' blood is coming into contact with me, passing through my lips. I'm pouring it out into my mouth. I did that. I caused him to shed his blood with my sin. And he died for me. He had, he had me in mind when he suffered and shed his blood and died to ratify that new covenant. How beautiful is that? And I'm afraid that we miss that. We miss that when we have an improper balance of form or focus. We say, oh, I, I don't really care about the focus. I just care about the form. I just care about make sure we've got the form right. That's what matters. We miss all the symbolism. And it's beautiful symbolism. And it means something to Jesus. We say, oh, you know, I, don't, I just don't care about the form that much. As long as we're coming together and, and talking about the symbolism, that's all that matters. Well, that destroys the symbolism. If you do it any other way, you don't get to see Jesus' body being passed around. and You don't get to to break it and make that realization that it was you that broke his body or that it was you that Jesus died for and that, that his blood was poured out for. And your sin did that. You, don't, you missed that without the form. Jesus knows, God knows the best way for us to remember. And he's, he's done it for us with the Lord's Supper. It's beautiful. And I, and I fear that we miss that when we... Uh, I, I fear that the communion has, has lost its power on us when we have an improper balance of form and focus.
You know, that's one of the main problems that faces the church today, isn't it? The main problems is the elevation of one of these two elements in God's system above and often to the complete exclusion of the other. And that is, it's not a new problem, is it? By any stretch of the imagination. I mean, uh, we read all throughout the Bible accounts of people elevating one of these two things in God's system above the other. One example can be found in the life and death of a man named Uzzah. You know his story? In, in 2 Samuel verse 6, King David, he called for the construction of a new cart to move the Ark of the Covenant. And I, I like to think of myself as a David. I sort of see myself in him. Uh, everything that David did, he did with great enthusiasm. You know, and, and he, he was always focused on praising God. And he really cared about focus. He really cared about uh, the focus. And he, he had great enthusiasm. Second Samuel verses six, or chapter 6 and verse 5 says, Then David and all the house of Israel played music before the Lord on all kinds of instruments of fir wood, on harps, on stringed instruments, on tambourines, on sistrums, on cymbals. Clearly, clearly they had the right focus, praising God. But there was a serious problem with their form. You see, God had revealed that when the ark of the covenant was to be moved, it should be carried by Levites only. And even then, on poles, and even if the Levites touched it, they would, they would die. And it needed to be covered with a goat skin, and, and nobody could touch the covenant, or the Ark of the Covenant, or they would die. So what happened? Well, 2 Samuel chapter 6, verses 6 and 7 say this, When they came to Nacon's threshing floor, Uzzah put his hand out to the ark of God and took hold of it, for the oxen stumbled. Then the anger of the Lord was aroused against Uzzah, and God struck him there for his error, and he died before the ark of God. There's a saying that's going around today, that's been going around for quite some time, that really worries me. And I'm sure you've all heard it before. It's, it's I'm spiritual, but I'm not religious. To be completely honest with you, I don't really know what that, that means. But if it means I have focus on Christ, but I don't care about the forms revealed in His Word, it is not biblical. It's not. And we have to reject it. I want the man, but not the plan, right? That's what people will say. Of course, the problem is that the plan was given by the man. Jesus said, if you love me, if you love me, keep my commandments. If you focus on me, keep my forms. Elevating focus while neglecting form is not acceptable in God's system. It's not, and it never has been, and it never will be. And yet so many today try to elevate the focus while completely ignoring the form. We've all had religious conversations with this type of person, haven't we? They're sincere in their convictions, but they're totally wrong on fundamental teachings of the Scripture, fundamental forms found in God's Word from the mouth of Jesus. Consider this. Can sincerity alone save a person? Think about that. All the sincerity in the world didn't seem to help Uzzah, did it? And all he wanted to do 
was save the ark of God from crashing to the ground. Surely he had good intentions. Surely he had the right focus. But he neglected God's form. And so he died. He died for that. We would be foolish to follow in His footsteps, wouldn't we? We'd be foolish to, to elevate our focus to the point of excluding form. And to be fair, to be fair with you, I think we do a pretty good job at that as Christ's body, as Christians, as religious people. I think we do a pretty good job at, at paying attention to God's forms. But sometimes we tend to have a different problem as the children of God. Sometimes we're, I think we're at a higher risk of developing the opposite line of thinking. Yes, having a, a semblance of focus on God while neglecting His forms, that's totally wrong. But equally as wrong is the desire to keep form while ignoring focus. And this was the problem with the Pharisees, wasn't it? That's another example. The Pharisees, they kept all the works of religion and then some. That's part of their problem. But they did it all for the wrong reasons. You see, they kept the form without the focus of love and true devotion to God. They kept the forms just to be seen and praised by men. And that was wrong. In Matthew 23, there's an entire chapter of Matthew, Matthew 23, where Jesus gives woe after woe, seven woes to the Pharisees. Matthew chapter 23, verses 5 through 7, Jesus says this about the Pharisees. He says, But all their works they do to be seen by men. They make their phylacteries broad and enlarge the borders of their garments. They love the best places at feasts, the best seats in the synagogues, greetings in the marketplace, and to be called by men, Rabbi, Rabbi. It was all about the show for them, wasn't it? Everything they did, they did for worldly prominence, praise of men, to be noticed by men. Jesus would say to them later on in the chapter, in verse, verse 23, He would say, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you pay tithe of mint and anise and cumin, and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice, mercy, faith, Listen to this, these you ought to have done without leaving the others undone. Now, I think this verse is sometimes misunderstood, and I don't want to misrepresent it to you. Sometimes people teach, I think, that the, they teach that the weightier matters of the law mean the more important matters of the law. And I don't think that's necessarily true. They're not, weighty doesn't mean more important I think it means more difficult to carry. Something that's weighty, something that's weighty is heavy. It's hard to, to bear. It's burdensome. It weighs you down. The problem with the Pharisees was that they were taking the easy road. They tithed, sure, but, but tithing was easy for them. They'd done that all their lives. Justice and mercy and faith, these are the hard parts of the law to keep. It requires your, your total devotion. It requires your mind and your heart and your soul. Those were the things that the Pharisees neglected. They took the easy road. Jesus said you have to have both. He said these you ought to have done, the hard, uh, heavy parts of the law, without leaving the others undone. Stuff like tithing for them. And true worship to God. You need, I need, 
both form and focus, both of which are displayed so perfectly in the upper room. Form and focus in preparing for the Passover. Form and focus in the Passover itself. Form and focus in the Lord's Supper. In every dispensation, God requires from His people both form and focus. Even on a night when most people would only be able to think about the suffering and the death to come, Jesus was able to show His disciples a balance of form and focus, the necessity of form and focus, and how it is that God uses these two elements in perfect harmony. In conclusion, John chapter 4, verses 23 and 24. A little while before the events that we read about in the upper room, Jesus is talking to a Samaritan woman at a well. Listen to what He said to her. He said, The hour is coming, and now is, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit, that's focus, and truth, that's form. For the Father is seeking such to worship Him. God is spirit, and those who worship Him must worship in spirit and truth, form and focus, law and love, if you will, works and faith, truth and spirit. May God help us to never elevate one above the other, especially not one above the other to the exclusion of the other, but to always balance them, never leaning too far to the left, too far to the right. Thank you so much for listening to this sermon from the Oyster Bay Church of Christ in Crawfordville, Florida. I hope you've been blessed by its message. If you have any comments, questions, or suggestions, or if you'd like to hear more preaching by the members of our congregation, visit our website at www.obcoc.org. I'm Hayden, and on behalf of the congregation, we wish you a blessed day.